0: The following episode of Series Regular contains spoilers for The Handmaid's Tale Season 3 finale. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Series Regular, the Hollywood Reporter's All-In Podcast on Genre Television. Hello again, everybody. I am Josh Wigler, once again joined by the Handmaid's Tale creator and showrunner and executive producer, Bruce Miller. Bruce, it's happened. The season three finale, it's in the universe. Is a great burden lifted off your shoulders or not really because as we're talking, it's not actually out in the universe and it's still days away. The production behind the scenes is very wonky and
1: weird. I don't know. I feel at the end of the season, I usually feel, you know, equal parts just exhilaration that people have finally seen it. It's nice. You know, you know, what we do is kind of storytelling on a very simple level. Uh, the problem is it's stilted in time, you know right. there's no one sitting across the campfire from you listening you know there It takes forever to come up with a story and then edit the story and then sound mix the story and then give it to people so uh, you know the natural way of telling a story is I tell you a story, and I see your face as you react, we just separate those things out, and that's weird, so I feel kind of exhilarated that that circle is closed. you know that we've told our story and someone's heard it. It is hard because people are always disappointed no matter what you do people are disappointed in how you've ended things for the season but most of all you know i I, it's kind of melancholy you know because you you've you've made this thing and and you put it out there and people have seen it and and there's never going to be that kind of flurry of of people all watching it once again which is that that's the part that's hard i mean you know beautifully over the next you know 100 years people will be able to access this and every other television show but you won't ever get this kind of people so excited to see it for the first time and have no idea what's going to happen moment to moment part of the show i think is the people find it unpredictable yeah i don't try to make it unpredictable I, in fact, try to do the opposite, which is almost inevitably what what you think would happen would happen. It's just not what would happen on television. It's just it's what would happen, you know, in reality, to, Gilia, to her. So but I like the moment to moment kind of reaction people have to what June does. And the and in the finale, there are a few moments that are very much the culmination of June through the whole season, you know, surprising herself and realizing how ruthless she has to be in order to get some of this shit done Yeah, and for me it's always very satisfying to see Elizabeth kind of so close the character for the season she's so careful and so precise it's just to watch that on screen it really does kind of turn that it's like turning off the lights in the house you know you really do feel like she clicks that character closed in such a beautiful way
0: well in the spirit of turning the lights off in the house i mean a lot is changing in the status quo of the handmaid's tale as of this season finale june's plan to get these children out of gilead and safely to canada it works she herself is unable to escape, and that is the decision that she makes: is to essentially sacrifice herself potentially in order to ensure the fulfillment of this mission. And um, it's
1: a decision everybody else makes as well, I right? Mean, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, As many people stay behind to help her out with that same exact goal. Certain people that that we know and love, uh, I'm I'm looking at Rita, uh, are able to have the the happier ending where they are able to escape Gilead. So it's not a you know a, a completely tragic. thing thing for for the characters that we know specifically and love but just break that down for me the the choice to to have this mission be successful to an extent and maybe for June to to find some other level of success in the choice that that she makes. As we were saying in the in the podcast before this one, that much of her struggle throughout the season was reconciling some humanity versus inhumanity, a balance of ruthlessness and how far you can take things. It feels like she maybe has a little bit more of an answer by the end of season 3.
1: I also feel like at the end of season 3, she's recognizing that this is a campaign not a battle and that and that the you know if she built this whole thing and then, you know, she goes out, then it's doesn't happen again. I mean, you know, that's kind of the brain drain you get with a rebellion is that if people are kind of constantly ferrying people over the border and disappearing, you're losing all your farriers. You're losing everybody who can do anything. And and for June, I just don't think she's considering leaving. I mean, I, I think June made the decision a while ago that she's she has a much better chance of getting seeing her daughter again even if they're seeing her again being here and i think that we also that's been proven to us luke has had no contact with their daughter and june's had a lot of contact with with their daughter and she got to the point where she actually scared the shit out of the parents and they fled so so i think that it's a it's, you know, this, this, she was intending this to, to be something particular. I don't think, you know, she was intending to get children out. She wasn't intending to kind of get all these other people out. Um, but for June, I don't think it was ever, you know, after last season, it was never a decision. You know, she can't leave without, you know, at this point in her psychological makeup, she's not going to leave without Hannah. And she made a lot of headway towards connecting with the mother and seeing her daughter again. So I think she it's, and connecting with the the Martha. So everything June's been told was impossible is still very possible. And she's just proven that again by getting you know, doing this thing that you know is hitting Gilead exactly where they hurt. I think she feels now I don't think she has much hope that she's gonna get out alive. Yeah. I think she's more there to fuck up Gilead. Well you know? even in this episode it
0: seems like she's she's making choices that she believes she she will you know, immediately not
1: walk away from. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's her choice at the beginning of the episode. Am I ruthless enough to do this? Am I I brave enough or, or, you know, am I willing to kind of jump off one ledge after another to, to do this? Because otherwise it just doesn't happen. You don't take over America by being you know, wrestling with every decision and I think here she's doing the same thing. She made a decision that she was gonna pull together this amazing thing and all these Marthas and they all helped. None of them were intending to leave either. They were all just dropping people off at the house. So I think for June it's the end of the the rebel arc is that she really has become more she's she's merged in the bigger movement than she is in herself. So
0: this episode is is big, it's it's action packed, it's tense. Talk about just designing this episode as a season finale and some of the conversations that went into pacing it out and making sure that this, you know, this mirrored the beginning of the season in in the ways that you wanted it to.
1: Well, I think that as with every the end of the season is difficult for us because we have so many stories we'd, we'd love to go back to and revisit and wrap up. We just don't have enough real estate. I mean, it's it's part of the show and part of the story is showing the minutia of June's process of her thinking things through and how she acts and the mistakes that. I, so when you're paying that much attention to to June's process and you re, and I, I feel like it's such a weird thing for us to be dramatizing, to see someone acting in a totalitarian state, that you don't want to diminish that, but also, you know, there's all these other stories going on that you can make a whole television series about, and that's always difficult when we go into a finale, but I think for for June, what I wanted is the, okay, today's the day feeling. And so, like, you've planned all this, you've talked your big talk, you've, you've addressed your fears, you let someone die in front of you because of this. You know, push is coming to shove. And I think for June, you want to feel that pressure. So I think the big discussion in the writer's room was about June under pressure. And June under pressure because at the finale of last season, she decided to stay. She's under pressure by choice. And so I think that she's feeling like all of this shit happened this season. I've been trying my hardest. All these people died. All this terrible stuff happened, and now it better pay off. It, you know, it better. And I think that determination of I think uh, uh, Lawrence says very well in the episode that you know the universe doesn't have a balance sheet. And June's like it better yes, it have does. a balance yeah. sheet. Yeah, yeah, it better, because otherwise well, I did all these terrible things, and I don't, you know, and nothing good's gonna come out of it. Uh, they can't be operating like that. So I think that it's June depending on the fact that there's a rebound effect. That when 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 she is forced to do bad things, she will be rewarded with good things. And that's not necessarily true. And what she realizes in this episode is you gotta do a lot more questionable things in order to make something happen.
0: Right. Including putting a gun in a little girl's face at one point uh, in order to, to keep the situation calm, which is kind of an intense measure. Is that the right interpretation of that moment, would you say?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I think it's an instinct that June has developed that's horrible. She turns around with a gun and points it in the face of a little kid because the little kid's screaming. Right. What does that say about June? I mean, and, and later, a few seconds later, she says, "Is my daughter's that age. She put the gun in that kid's face. And it's, you know, are you kill, killing the thing you're trying to save? You know, are you, you know, if you're trying to save and help all your handmaid and Martha friends, you know, the, how many of them are going to end up in the wall after this? You know, wh- what what exactly are you doing? But here it's really about what has she done. In that moment, it's about what has she done to herself. Yeah. And that particular moment, first of all, the... Um, Hulu and MGM were very trusting and generous because, you know, to point a gun at a little kid on television is not... It's not nothing. It's not nothing. Something we do very lightly and I think that something we don't do very lightly and I think that the reaction June has afterwards is the reaction we wanted her to see is that horror of, oh, my God. And also the horror of if I've turned into this person, this better fucking work. Right. You know, (laughs) if I have gone down this rabbit hole and I'm someone who's pointing a gun at a 10-year-old girl because she's upset then this this really, really better add up to something. And if you're telling me in the next scene that it isn't adding up to anything, you know, I'm, I'll shoot you. Yeah. You know, it can't not add up to anything. And so it's one of my favorite moments, and it's also one of my favorite moments for Lizzie, because, you know, the you have to get both the reflex and the dawning horror like that once you follow that reflex and so and then the little girl who plays kiki whose name sadly escapes me i'm so sorry was amazing in that moment just so surprised but also playing a little girl who lives in a world with guns she knows what it means she's not you know she sees guns every day people are walking around with guns every day out so she knows what a gun is she's not reacting like she she doesn't stop and not take it seriously she takes it seriously yeah it ends happily for for kiki at
0: the at the very least does it end happily for, for so many of these children who are able to escape Gilead and and move into, into Canada. And it, it ends happily fairly immediately for, for this child in particular who is reunited with her father once the plane lands in Canada, which is a very touching moment. And for it to happen right in front of Luke, who is desperate to see Hannah walk off that plane. She does not. She is not there. Uh, Adds an additional level of of tragedy. But in, in crafting this moment, how much is it about Underscoring that victory, that you know this was not you know some of the some of the things that June had to do along the way here in season three. It was not in vain. A family is reunited, but how much does it also underscore the idea that there's more work to do? Hannah wasn't on that plan.
1: I th- yes, I think you have to look at a scene like that from everybody's perspective who's in it, and everybody has a different perspective. You know, Moira is really the the focus in that scene, and one of the best things is that she while we notice luke is suffering she notices luke is suffering and it's the it's the incomplete victory of it all it's that it's that you're not going to get complete victories here you're not going to get you know june is is you know shot and probably not doing very well at this particular moment this was not kind of a selfish thing for June or a selfish thing for Luke. This was something else. This was, A, a way to help these children slash hurt Gilead. And so I think Luke understands that intellectually, but you hope against hope when there's children coming off that plane dressed like that, that one of them's going to be yours, especially in a situation where you feel like your wife left herself behind in order to keep trying. But on the other hand, I think you, you want to make sure you don't get lost in just... June's connection with Luke, but June's connection with Moira, June's connection with Emily and Rita, and all of those things are what playing in the episode. All those things are a proxy for, for June. You know, she's making connections, albeit you know, one step removed.
0: Yeah, how do you imagine a development like this? impacts the world that you've, you're you working with here in The Handmaid's Tale. I mean, this is a, a massive development within the context of Gilead. You know, we've seen the resistance strike back against Gilead before uh, in physical destructive ways. This is existentially destructive. By getting such a, a huge group of child refugees out of Gilead is something that is going to, you imagine, send them on high alert. At the same time, Commander Wynn, Lo is missing. He is dead. We know. They do not know. Uh, and Commander Waterford is in Canadian custody at the moment as well. How vastly different do you imagine the the landscape of Gilead to be in season four?
1: I I, I do think it's a, a huge huge change. The analog I over I always used. You know, when I was thinking about it, was you know there have been just using an example, there have been lots of adoptions from China over the last. You know, 50 years in America, 30 years in America. What if China came and said all of those Chinese children, they're Chinese, they're not American, they were born here, they were taken, you know, uh, it, it's immoral that they were taken out. And just in the middle of the night, someone went to all of those houses, stole 200 Chinese children and flew them back to China that's where they belong right what would what would happen here and this isn't a fertility crisis and this is you know you know as far as Gilead is concerned those children are legally under their law belong to somebody else they they are in someone else's family they have parents and so from their point of view you've just taken adopted children and flown them out of the country and some of them aren't from people out of the country. From them, their parents are still back in Gilead, a lot of them. So you didn't even take them to their parents. You just took them to a random other country. And so I think that Gilead, from their point of view, under their set of codes, is going to be ready to go to war over this. Uh, you know, I would. You know, they, they were ready to go to war over over the one child um and they're a fairly frightening military force we've seen them armed up before they have exactly the same number i think it's 3200 nuclear weapons that we do right they took over america and so every nasty helicopter every you know fighter plane they have all of it they have the biggest military in the world which is you know very very important in all the discussions that people have about how to deal with them is that they have this giant powerful military that that they can wield anywhere around the world i think our country has eight aircraft carriers and no other country has more than two and so you know we're 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 kind of uh, leaps and bounds exponentially more powerful and so i i think that here you know it's a moment of triumph but i don't know what, are what the consequences shit of that? show it's going to lead to and also you know uh We've seen one child reunite with her mother, with her father, Rebecca. And what about all the other children who who don't? You know, I mean, the re, uh, we've seen before those reunifications come in every way, shape, every possible flavor. And also, the, what about the people who don't have anybody in Canada? You know, do, where do they go? What, and what happens when some of the older kids go? I want to go home. I, this is this is awful. You know, so it's it's a big mess. And which is also kind of one of the things, you know, you feel I always feel like on TV, you know, the the big noble things happen and none of the mess ever gets back to the people who've done this thing. You know, June realizing that she's saved lives and destroyed lives and uprooted lives and and all of those things is, you know, and, and how those, those things weigh on her and also Moira, especially, you know, in her job as someone who works in the refugee community, trying to get all these kids settled and happy where you're getting this incredible pressure from everybody to say, you know, get the, the, the you know, we have to do something. We have to do something, you know, uh, because I'm sure that the rest of the people in Canada aren't very excited about getting bombed into oblivion. Um, they're not looking to do that. They're not looking That would be, to be general, ideal to avoid. That would be something to avoid. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think you, I, I cannot over guess what some a country like like gilead who's focused and also those are hard-won children they they you know they they broke a lot of eggs to get those children and they don't want to give them up
0: you know, the scope of the series has has been expanding and we spent a decent amount of time in Canada this year, uh, you know, with that really starting back in season two. But we're, we're pulling back. We're now entering season four, left with a, a state where so much of the main cast is outside of Gilead. You know, it's not just Luke and Moira and Emily joined them this season and Rita is here now. But the Waterfords are, are prisoners in Canada. So for those two characters specifically, the power dynamics have completely flipped on their heads. You know they're so used to be being powerful. You know runners of of government and household, and now they're at the mercy of of their circumstances in a totally different world. So I'd love to know a little bit about how you expect that might manifest in the future of the show, specifically with Fred and Serena, but also on a broader level, is *The Handmaid's Tale* you know, is is it shifting focus a little bit by necessity, by design, by having so many of these characters in Canada? Can we expect to spend even more time outside of Gilead in season
1: four? Uh, yeah, I think we can expect to spend more time. And I think the show's going to change just like it did in season three and just like it did in season two when she became pregnant and, and there was, you know, all, all of a sudden she's going through something that we haven't seen before. In my sense of things, kind of very generalized talking, television, you know, the whole time I was growing up was a Rube Goldberg device. Mm -hmm. The mechanism, you know, it would do all these really cool things, and it's incredibly fun to watch those things happen, but in the end... Nothing changes because nothing can change. You have a franchise and so you know, watch this beautiful machine work and all these little machinations are beautiful, but at the end you end up right where you started. I don't think that's the model anymore. I don't think we can do that anymore. I don't think the handmaid's tale is a Rube Goldberg device. I don't think we're just gonna reset all the time. So we're you gonna... burned the
0: Waterford house down at yeah. the start of the season. That was a real signal of what's
1: willing to be right. accomplished here. Yeah, because we're not telling the story about something that happens over and over again, we're telling the story about June, or June's telling us her story. And that is what we're following. And so, you know, whither thou goest, where June goes and what happens to June, we will follow. And so I don't think in any important way the show's changing. The show is always a June show. And she also, the people who are in her immediate sphere who she would either know what they were doing find out eventually what they had been doing if she ever contacts them again or you know have a pretty good imagination about what what's going on with them knowing those people like when she found out that moira and luke were living together the first thing she said is oh my god they're gonna kill each other <laughs> right yeah, yeah. <laughs> um which she just you know it was like the first thing that goes through her mind so i think that i want the show to move forward i want the show to change i don't i don 't feel like a show like this benefits from having a still to, uh, having a immovable franchise It just doesn 't make any sense and also you know it, it, it's you 're in a world of Gilead where it's a Rube Goldberg machine, but at the end it's a guillotine. I mean, it, th- things do have stakes here. Things do change. And so I want to make sure that that it isn't the only the machinations that are interesting, but also the result. And the result. And she gets results. She got her child out. She got this whole bunch of other children out. She's really raised hell inside of Gilead, and we'll see what happens next. How about for Fred
0: and Serena, though? What do you expect to explore with the fact that they are completely, their dynamics have completely
1: reversed? Oh, yeah. I mean, I love the fact that, the, I mean, the, the, they're such good actors. You got to give them something interesting to do. I like the fact that that their dynamics have changed and they've moved, but they're not completely without power. I mean, that's the interesting thing. Uh, in some ways, it's the way the uh, American CIA agent puffs up Fred as saying, you know, you're so important. Everybody wants to hear your story, all of that stuff. And so I think that they are going to be very powerful and influential. They are now the voice of Gilead explaining itself to the rest of the world. And in this case, moving forward, they're also the voice of Gilead saying, how, how could you steal our children? You know, they're, they're, they're a voice in Canada for that. But is the show moving to Toronto? Parts of it are, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's moving wherever the story takes us. And, you know, as much as I do like it as a viewer, I'm not so much of a believer in the home base just in this particular show June is our home base. Yeah. So where she is is where the show is. Yeah. But
0: speaking of of that with so many of her characters outside of her immediate physical sphere right now I feel like this leaves you with the opportunity to create some very compelling new people. So many of the people that she regularly, routinely interacts with are dead or gone right now. Is that a, an exciting part of where you are heading into season four, where I feel like this season, more than the others, you you have to start inventing some new individuals to be fairly central to the, to the storyline, especially as it relates to June.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, she is moving out of the sphere that she was— in, part of that was was incredibly intentional. Which is at the beginning of the year, I was just trying to think of what what's the cost of what June's going to do this year, and that's the cost is that she loses this support system that she spent so long building. And that has really protected her. It's not It's not that—so she, you know, basically calls in all her chits and, get, you know, and throws everybody under the bus that she has to to make that happen. And she'll be dealing with that, you know, in the future. But I think that June, you know, one of the things that we saw in season three was how quickly— you know, she moved into the Lawrence house and it was a completely different cast of people. And you immediately feel like, oh, those are the people because we know those roles so well. I think wherever we you know, kind of find June, it'll be interesting as long as it's interesting to June. Yeah.
0: She's recovering from a, a gunshot wound by the end of Poor baby. of season yeah. three. I don't think the other guy's going to recover. I think that he seems like he's down for the count. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Given the, the injury, given the events of the finale, do you imagine... That you have to pick up pretty swiftly after everything. Can you allow yourself some time between the end of three and the beginning of four in terms of the
1: timeline of the story? I'm always surprised that shows that I think, oh, they can never jump time. I want to see what happens next. Jump time. Maybe those people, you know, have more guts than I do as showrunner. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm still kind of, I mean, we're just starting to talk about season four, but I wouldn't be surprised by either. I mean, I, I, I sometimes really like to pick up immediately just so you, there's no open space and you're not, re, you know, backfilling stuff. But on the other hand, you know, June isn't in a particularly cognizant state either. So, you know, time can go by without getting any input from June and she, you know, wouldn't, remember that time going by so who knows what you know will happen in in season four there but one of the great things about the way the show is set up and it's the way the book is set up is jumping around in time is not difficult yeah. jumping back in time jumping you know forward in time and skipping things all of those things are done very handily in the book and so I think that you know as as we do get further away from the the things that happen in the book we stick more and more to the way the book is constructed the way story decisions are made
0: where do you feel you are in the lifespan of the handmaid's tale right now the the book is closed on season three season four is happening where do you see yourself at the in the greater scope of the story are we at the midpoint do you feel like we're we're approaching the end have you given much thought to this yet
1: I haven't given much thought to, I mean, of, at the beginning, of course, you give thought to making sure that you have enough to yeah. do and there's interesting things far ahead that you can possibly do. But first of all, I mean, I think in new television, there's a lifespan for shows that's that's shorter than it was in the time of Supernatural and things like that. Also, this is a particular, because it's based on a novel and because the story is structured not in a way that it keeps repeating itself that it's not, that, that you know, it's going to have a natural lifespan. And, and I'm really looking for kind of two emotional things rather than anything that's too uh, technical. And the emotional things are, when does June reach the end of this chapter of her story? We have not seen lots of chapters of June's story. We haven't seen her growing up with her mom. We haven't seen her, you know, becoming, you know, going to college, becoming friends with, with Moira and how that influenced her. There's lots of beautiful stories and movies that we could see about June. But what I'm looking for is the end of this chapter of her story, you know, in a satisfying way. The other thing that, that I think that you really want to do is you, uh, what I really am looking for is is a companion piece to the novel. I think no matter, you know, the novel exists as something separate from the things that were inspired by the novel. And so The Handmaid's Tale, the show, the TV show, exists with The Handmaid's Tale, the ballet and the play and the opera and all those other things that are a companion piece to the novel. So I think in terms of how far I am in the story, what I'm really hoping for at the end uh, emotionally is just something you can tie up in a nice little bow, put next to the book on your shelf and say, oh, that's a good—that's a— interesting take on that. That's, you know, it's additional companion material, you know, not trying to supplant the book, not trying to over. So I think with that in mind, you really want to make it feel in some ways novelistic, like it has a beginning and an end and it ties up nicely and neatly. And it's, and it's a piece of that universe that Margaret's created. The book is closing on season
0: three. The book is closing on this podcast here as well. Bruce, do you have any any final thoughts? Any messages to the to the Handmaid's Tale fans who are who are listening to this? Can you do your best, Oprah, and speak across uh, across the the radio waves to them at this
1: moment in time as we wrap up? Um, I would just say I appreciate them watching and watching so carefully, and also being so thoughtful and generous with their. Comments and discussions. I, I, you know, I have to say, people dread people on I know who are on other shows dread social media, and I find it incredibly grown up for, for a show that's this hard to watch. So, our fan base, you know, as they watch through their closed eyes and and just spread fingers, I appreciate them <laughs> slogging through the show and and telling me what they think. Cool. All right, that's
0: going to do it for us on Series Regular this week. Bruce Miller, thank you so much for this uh, two-part Handmaid's discussion. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you enjoyed the season. All right, so subscribe to Series Regular if you have not done so already on your podcast platform of choice. Follow THR.com slash Handmaid's Tale for more Handmaid's Tale coverage, and we will be back next week with more Series Regular. Take care, everybody. Goodbye.